Hello, and welcome to the Fire Up Podcast. I'm your host, Deborah Trapin. As an empowerment consultant, author, and international speaker, it is my heart's desire to help you define and refine your best self. Ditch the senseless hustle you deal with, find your focus, and ultimately build a life you are fired up to live out loud on purpose and on your own terms. Lioness, put your seatbelt on if you dare. Get ready to fill your soul tank with weekly affirmations, take your life to 11 with each thought-provoking moment, and spark that beautiful flame of inspiration by listening to the Moxie Chats with magnificent women sharing their signature sass, Moxie, and fire. Are you ready to open, ignite, and nurture your mind, heart, and soul? Grab your favorite beverage and let's do this. Today's guest, Valerie Alexander, is here to share her fierce, fiery, soul tank filling wisdom. Let me tell you a bit about her before we dig in. Valerie is a tech CEO, a speaker, author, publisher, and screenwriter. She's the founder and CEO of Goalkeeper, a tech company that builds communication bots to amplify happiness. Their first product is the Happy Couples Bot, which is a fantastic personal communication tool that takes the guesswork, the frustration, and the passive aggressiveness out of couplehood by reminding each person of what their partner likes and loves about them and what they might need more of from the relationship. Valerie's books include a fantastic happiness as a second language series and how women can succeed in the workplace despite having female brains. That's based on the popular talk she's given at companies, colleges, and conferences across the country, including the 2018 Woman Up. She holds the U.S. registered trademark on the phrase as a second language for self-help and personal growth spaces. And under that title, publishes works by other authors, including Parenting as a Second Language, Creativity as a Second Language, and other soon-to-be-released books. Valerie's keynotes, seminars, and workshops have entertained, trained, and inspired entrepreneurs, artists, lawyers, truck drivers, doctors, investment bankers, managers, students, homemakers, and CEOs from coast to coast. She is also a screenwriter, as I mentioned, and has worked with Joel Schumacher, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Barry Sonnenfeld, Ice Cube, and others. Prior to becoming a screenwriter, Valerie was an IPO lawyer, a venture capital consultant, and an investment banker in the Silicon Valley. And she was the VP of business development for two new media startups in Hawaii and Los Angeles, respectively. Before entering the professional ranks, Valerie worked as a horse wrangler, an algebra teacher, a runway model, a semi-professional soccer player, a tutor for the developmentally disabled, an amusement park supervisor, an SAT, GRE, an LSAT prep teacher, and the world's worst waitress. (laughs) Valerie's been married to writer-producer Rick Alexander since 2006, She and Rick live in Los Angeles with their ill-mannered German shepherd, Vegas, who has the most amazing smile. (laughs) During this chat, Valerie and I talk about who our culture values, 
This is really good. You're going to love this. Also, how she holds it together in a room of CEOs when she hears absurd things. And we banter about the buying power and leadership skills of women and how they can't be denied any longer. Put your seatbelt on, my friend. Here is part one of two conversations with Valerie Alexander. Welcome, welcome to the show, Valerie Alexander. For those of you who had followed me back in my past life on Woman on Wine TV, which was previously called Breve TV, the show that I did with one of my besties, Kelly Mitchell, you heard Valerie and her story. Uh, but I have so many amazing folks in this Fire Up community who have never met this amazing woman. So I am super excited for you to meet Valerie. Valerie, welcome. I'd love for you to start, just tell me and the folks who are listening, who is Valerie? What are you up to? <laughs> there is a great saying that the man who chases two rabbits will never catch either. <laughs> and I sadly chase a lot of rabbits. So who I am and what I am up to is always a tough question for me to answer. I am right now, I'm the CEO of a tech company, Goalkeeper. Mm -hmm. So you can go to goalkeeper.net. Uh, that will take you to super happy couples because we build micro social platforms that make it easier to make the people you love happy. And I am also a keynote speaker. I travel around the country. I talk about the topics of how women can succeed in the workplace. I speak about leading for happiness because companies could substantially lower their costs and increase their profits if they would make happiness a higher priority in the Amen. workplace. Amen. Yes. And I speak about how to outsmart unconscious bias in both your company and yourself. And that is by acknowledging the brain science behind that. All of my talks, the happiness talks, the advancement of women and unconscious bias are about brain science. Because once we understand how our brains function, we can much more easily make the adjustments and corrections we need to, to make the world a better place. Completely agree. You know, I, I know a lot of the gals who are in the fire up community who are at the woman up conference in LA in 2018 are super excited to know that you are on the show because they loved your talk. And, you know, I think that the fun thing about, how you have married the conversation of brain science or neuroscience and how we as women can succeed and, and thrive in the workplace knowing these fundamental elements of how our brains work is not, not only is it intelligent, right? It's you're speaking to the higher self of everyone who's in your audience. It's not dumbing down anything. It's let's get real people. <laughs> this is reality. This is not fluff. This is not, you know, you, you definitely get people fired up and leaning into it, but it's, it, it's not from a place of this is what's wrong with everything. It's like, this is why we deal with it and here's how to overcome it. And that's so incredibly powerful. And that's why I, I absolutely love everything that you're doing in this space. It's helping women open their minds and it's also helping men understand the differences and maybe even get excited about learning more and bringing more women to the table so that they can learn more and experience more and be part of this, you know, amazing new knowledge. <laughs> One of the things I always get when I'm, get, I'm, I'm doing a keynote on Thursday and 
they said, no, there's going to be men in the audience. They're always worried about that when they book yes. me. And yes. I, I love sharing. And I say, interestingly enough, men love it even more than the women do. Because when you go back and you look at the sort of evolutionary forces that created our roles today, that created our behavior, but that also built our corporate world, and you say, I never use the phrase male-dominated. And no workplace is male-dominated. It was male-designed. Yeah, Men built it. And so they built it to reward their natural instincts, just like the organizations and things that were female designed reward our natural instincts. Right. And so when we look at it from that perspective, it takes the blame out of it. Yes. Let's take the blame out of all of this. Men aren't out there trying to dominate the workplace. They're trying to succeed by the metrics that we've inherited for the last 20,000 years of commerce. Yeah. And whether those metrics get a company to the best outcome or not is the real issue. So what companies need to do is look at how are they defining leadership? How are they rewarding behavior? Are they rewarding behavior based on what they've always believed was going to get the most successful outcome back when only men were participating in the workplace? Or does a company have the courage and the foresight to step back from their metrics and say, wow, we haven't been rewarding the right things. We haven't gotten to the right outcomes. The example I always use is, who do we value more as a society? The firefighter or the fire inspector? (laughs) I love this. Of course, we value the firefighter much more highly than we value the fire inspector. So let's Step back and look. I at think what they, for a few reasons, Valerie. Yes. yes I, when, I, when I do the talk on college campuses, I ask, who are you more instinctively inclined to want to mate with? Yes. Yes. I think um, you did that at Woman Up To and the room erupted. Right. <laughs> um, but one puts out fires and the other prevents fires from happening in the first place. Yes. Yes. And we have to step back and say, which of those is more intrinsically valuable? And if a company is only ever rewarding the person who puts out the fire and they have nothing in their feedback system or their reward system to acknowledge, to recognize, and to reward the person who prevented a fire from happening in the first place, Mm -hmm. that person will get tired of never being rewarded and will leave. Correct. And if you're a company who loses all the people who prevent fires from happening in the first place, guess what you wind up with? Yeah. Fires. Fires. Lots of them. Well, and you know, what's interesting is, is the the reaction to that statement, right? The, The visual that we get in our mind's eye of the firefighter and the visual we get in our mind of the fire inspector, right? And, and how, even as women, how we do categorize that in the mating, like that caveman side of who we are, which you've, you know, Right. <laughs> to, to speak to your book, right? The, there is that caveman instinct and we as women also need to control that too. Like I often, this is maybe a little controversial, but the hashtag, the future is female drives me freaking batty. Like it just, I don't, I don't, it doesn't resonate with me. It's like the future is us. The future right. is people. It's human. 
it's not one gender or the other. It's going too far. Mm-hmm. And, and so we as women need to be very careful as well to not do what we are telling men to not do to us, but do it to them. Right. And that's what I love. I I mean, our messages are very different, but that underlying foundation of, you know, let's bring the feminine and the masculine energy together at the same table. There's so much power in that. We were created to work together. We are better together. We should not come from this divisive space. And it's so interesting to me that. what you were saying about the men leaning into these conversations and you know, the women are cheering going, yes, I understand myself, but the men are doing the same thing. They're like, Oh, I finally get it. And we need to celebrate that more often. We need to celebrate the understanding. The men, when they're in my talks, they say, Oh, now I understand what I'm not valuing enough. Now I understand why I'm losing my top female performers because to be honest, Men leaders that I know, they want the women to succeed. They want them at the table. They want them to get ahead and they can't understand why it's not happening. They said, we have all these programs. We've done all these things. So there's two things that they're not looking at. One is the metrics to make sure that everybody's contribution is valued. There's another aspect to that which is that we have now found in study after study, failure is less tolerated from women than it is from men. Yes. Oh, this is so good. That is, by the way, exacerbated for minorities. When people are in a role they're traditionally not in, and this is what I know from all the unconscious bias work that I do, the presumption is that they're not qualified for that role. And they have to prove at every single point that they deserve to be there. They constantly are in a state. You watch this, especially, oh, good Lord, in tech and in the sciences, when a woman is speaking, Mm. she is asked what is the underlying proof for every single thing she's saying. Men are never asked that. Yeah. And the, the assumption is that the person who is breaking the norm is not qualified and they are constantly having to prove that they are qualified. Well, when you are in a state of constantly having to prove it, you get no free passes. And everyone in life who is successful got there because they got a couple free passes. Mm. They got a couple chances to get it wrong and come back. And there's a saying, men fail up and women fail out. Mm -hmm. Because when men fail, they're given a second chance because they're presumed to be the right person for success. Often when women fail, that's it. Because now we have fulfilled the preconceived belief about us. It's, you know, this is so, it's so powerful, Valerie, because you're, I think that, We also, you know, women, we hold ourselves back in that as well. And that we're so afraid to fail that we don't take the risk, that we don't step into it because we've seen that pattern. And so the breaking of that pattern is so important, right? And we cannot do it alone. 
Like we need men to be part of that equation. All the conversations, you know, you and I have had over the years about women not asking and, and what's the solution with that. And I think it's just everybody needs to understand where we are, like where the general population in each gender sits. We're not all the same, but if we know that there's an underlying issue with how we raised women, at least in the Gen X and the boomer generation, which was wait to be asked to speak, wait to be asked to go out on a date, wait to be asked to go to the prom, wait to be asked to get married, wait, 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 wait. And usually it was a woman waiting for a man to ask them something. And so we've been conditioned to wait. And so it, when you explained it in that way, even men are like, oh my gosh. <laughs> right. I know, you know, because they're thinking about the, oh my gosh, I got to ask her. Oh my gosh, I got to ask her. Oh my gosh, I got to ask. And so they've been building up this bravery, this confidence and, you know, the sheer, okay, well, she says, no, I'm going to ask someone else because I'm going to the prom. <laughs> well, and, and also a thing you mentioned about risk, and this is really, really critical. I cannot, you've seen the talk, so you know how elaborate this explanation is in that, but I'll narrow it down. Our prefrontal cortex, which is the part of our brain that controls emotions, social interaction, and decision-making, did not exist, did not exist until after we were living in tribes and our tasks were separated by gender. Two million years ago, that tribal living began happening, and two million years ago, our brain was the size of a meatball. So it took about 1.2 million years of evolution for our brain to expand to the head of cauliflower we all have today. <laughs> and that's where the prefrontal cortex came from because we had so many more needs of brain capacity once we were living in tribes and hunting bigger animals and creating government systems, all kinds of things. So the men who were going to succeed were the ones who were successful at hunting and combat. The women who were going to succeed were the ones who were successful at keeping the offspring of the tribe alive. That was the division of labor for reasons I could get into at length, but I won't. <laughs> um, to succeed in hunting and combat, you need to be able to take big risks. To succeed at keeping the offspring of the tribe alive, you cannot take any risks. And therefore, men literally have an instinct for risk that women don't have. And this evolutionary biologists have been saying this since the advent of evolutionary biology. Now we have what's called fMRI, functional MRI technology. We can actually watch brains function. And yes. all of the studies have shown men progress towards risk. Women are highly risk averse. Yes. And now that we know that, if we want equality in our workplace, and if a woman has to take a risk in order to be successful, she needs more prodding to take that risk. She needs more of the risk elements to be eliminated, which means she needs more certainty in place before she can take a risk. And the risk has to be mitigated. Again, the failure can't be held against her at a higher rate than it would be held against men. Because if you create a workplace where people are only trying not to fail, they're never going to succeed. They're never going to innovate. They're never going to take a chance. They're never going to try something new. And there's another aspect to failure with women that we have got to wrestle to the ground. Yeah. When women fail, we go around announcing it. 
we go around telling everybody. We apologize for it. Mm. Or we say, okay, I got this wrong last time, but here's what I want to try. Yeah, yeah. Oh, preach it. Do, do not announce when you are wrong. In fact, when I talk about we value the person who puts out the fire more than we value the person who prevented the fire from happening in the first place. Yeah. If you're a woman, keep preventing fires from happening. Don't start behaving like men. I never, ever, ever say behave like men. You bring so much value as a woman. But if the highest valued trait in your workplace is putting out fires, then when the fire does start, be the one who puts it out. Right. Even if it's the fire you started. Yeah, you know, I, there's so many layers in that, Val. And I think part of it is, is that we, we live in a space now where we're told being vulnerable is important. And so I, I think that we need to actually be really clear about that, right? That it's, there's a difference in how you, you speak to and how you maybe work through your failures in the workplace and how you do it in your circle or your lioness pride, whatever it is that you call it, your group. Yeah. Talking to them about, you know, oh, I have this situation and man, I, I just <laughs> was a flub. Like that's an okay place to do it. But and you're in a business meeting announcing that you are the reason that there is a fire burning. Exactly. It's not the place to be vulnerable, people. And uh, men and women, like no right. one should be doing that. And I think that that's kind of leaking into the, the, the workplace because of the conversations that are around being vulnerable and brave and, and owning your failures. But that actually isn't serving you. It's, it's Absolutely not. not. And especially because point. we now know failure is held against women at a higher rate than it's held against men. Psst. Yes, you. Are you tired of wasting your precious time at networking events where your ideal connections are not even in the room? Ready to crush the fear of missing out when you decline an invitation? Head on over to debratrapin.com slash mini course and sign up from my next free mini moxie course. Once you sign up, it will automatically be delivered to you on launch day. 1111. Again, visit DebraTrapin.com slash mini course and get ready to fire up your networking this holiday season and beyond. And now back to our moxilicious conversation. Number two, let's say a client calls you and asks a question. A client calls, I think a lot of people in this group are in the real estate industry. So if you're in commercial real estate and a client calls and says, so what are the operating costs in this building? Don't say, oh, let me look that up and call you back. First off, the new thing that I'm starting to say these days is time is the single most precious resource on this planet. It is the only thing that no matter how rich you are, you can't buy more of. Yes. And it is the only thing that is 100% not renewable and never will be. Right. So, you are going to do much, much better in life if you never waste anyone's time. When someone picks up the phone and calls you, number one, they're investing their time. Number two, it's because they need something and they need it at the moment they picked up that phone. And one of the things women do, one, because we're risk averse, two, because of the way our decision-making developed over two million years of evolution, we are always want to be right. 
we are very concerned with giving an answer that's wrong. Mm -hmm. But I challenge everybody, if you had a service provider. I'm already getting hives at what you're going to try and tell us. (laughs) Yes. I'm like, "Mm, my neck is itching. If you have someone that you call 10 times and 10 out of 10 times they say, let me look that up and call you back. And then they call you back. Or you have someone else that you call 10 times and 10 out of 10 times they give you a call immediately. But twice they have to call you later and say, you know what? I need to adjust my answer. Yeah. Which person do you want to call? Yeah. Well, I, I get where you're going. Completely. Yeah. Completely. When and, and ideally you- we, we know somewhat. We, we have a general idea of, <laughs> of the, the question that they're asking, right? Yeah. Um, oh, I always say this. If you're 85% sure you're right, you're right. Especially if you're a woman. (laughs) If you are 85% sure you're right, you're right. Give the answer. Then hang up and go look it up. And then if it turns out you weren't right, then you call back. But when you call back, you say, hey, I looked into that a little further. Here's the new information. Yeah. Not like, oh, I was wrong. Yeah. It was, here's the new information. See, I like that. That's a great script, right? That's great. Yeah. Like a great place to start is I, I wanted to do a little bit more research. I, you know, you piqued my yeah. curiosity, whatever it is, right? Like just dig in a little bit more and I have some more information for you. I love, I think that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I think that that kind of balances out again, that desire to be, to be right um, because right. we, you know, like the, the risk is a big part of it. Also, uh, most women, it, again, it's a generalization and, and it's changing in the generations that are coming, that are being raised right now that, that you're, you're raised to be perfect. You know, my mom and I have had the, these conversations over the years that, you know, even, uh, teen pregnancy back, you know, not even 50 years ago, you know, like girls were sent to go live with their aunt, but their aunt was actually a nunnery and their baby was given up for adoption and they had no choice. And like that just now, not to say that doesn't happen in some way, shape or form in some places now, but we don't do that now. Like as a society, you know, it's, it's not that it's praised, but we, we, we come around and we circle these, these women and we offer them choices. We offer them choices that they, that they can then decide. And that is a beautiful growth pattern right there that we were here and we are here now. And I think that, um, it's just, it's super important for us to recognize and celebrate when we do have change, when we do see change like that. And whether it's in life or in the workplace, like you're talking about here, it's, we need to celebrate when we've learned how to do it right. Or, or at least we've learned how to do it better. Maybe, maybe we're not right yet, but. <laughs> I think a lot of workplaces are getting better and better for women mm-hmm. and that is partly because companies are realizing they can't sustain. They can't be successful if 50% of the workforce isn't available to them. Right. And it's so, so huge. They are making these changes. And things like, you know, flexible schedules, nursing rooms. But the things that enable parenting are a small, small fraction of the, the adjustments everybody needs to make in order to ensure that women are being rewarded and retained and recruited and advanced in the workplace. Yeah. 
the biggest thing we need to do is just focus on outcomes. Focus on who is giving the best contribution and what that contribution brings. And we're going to see more and more opportunities open up. And we're going to see companies that are getting this right do better and better. It's all evolution. It's all evolution. The companies that insist on the old school metrics and the old school models are not going to last. Yep. Well, and I think that the beauty is, is that it's not, this isn't a negative change. This is a, a evolving and growing and to, you know, the, the big words out, you know, like disruption, it's like disrupt this for crying out loud, like embrace being the company that does this well. There was just a great article um, about Redfin here in Seattle about how they, you know, they're a real estate tech company, right? Mm-hmm. They have realtors working on their staff, but for the most part, they're all about tech and how with one hire bringing in a female into the engineering department, and then she moved into the CTO position. And with, in a matter of a few years, 33% of the engineers were all of a sudden female. Like it wasn't this in 50 years, we'll have parity. It was yeah. in just well, a matter of that position, like just one person leading and focusing and, and how she partnered with Glenn, who's the CEO to have conversations with these women, to bring them in, to welcome them. So we've got this female CTO and a male CEO working together to fix a problem and to be a beacon right? A beacon of an example to other companies that you, you don't have to wait. Like, you don't have to wait till somebody leaves, like bring more people in, like see how it changes the mix. And the more that, you know, companies hear what you're talking about, the more companies lean into this next phase of being a corporate entity and be excited about the change, not keeping things status quo. If you look at Redfin having 33% of their engineers be women, I'll ask you, how influential are women in the home buying decision? Absolutely. And that means that company's going to do better for that reason. Right. I have a great story when I talk about happiness in the workplace. This has become one of my favorite moments. I was at a corporate culture mastermind. It was for CEOs of companies to determine how to improve corporate culture, how to reinforce your corporate culture. And there was a young CEO in the room. He was a 24-year-old guy. And he says, well, we decided in advance what our culture is going to be. And it's going to be excellence. Our culture is going to be a culture of excellence, which means if you have to be there on midnight, you're going to be there on midnight. If you're going to work on weekends, you can work on weekends because all we care about is excellence. Mm-hmm. And there was a woman facilitating this mastermind. And she goes, I think that's great. And I literally looked at her. I was like, what? I said, um, and then I looked at this young man and I said to him, I have a question. What does your company do? And he said, oh, we're building like a Yelp for household products. And I went, ah! I literally laughed in his face because I said, I'm sorry, a Yelp for household products. Who is your audience? And he said, well, anyone who, you know, buys household products. I'm like, no, 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 no. The concept, our market is everyone, is one of the worst things you can say about your company, about investors. I said, who is actually going to be using your product? He's like, well you know, probably mostly women. I'm like, okay, no, drill down more. 
I said, who is actually going to be looking for reviews of household products? And finally he got it and he was like, oh, well, moms. And I said, yes. And you have literally just described a corporate culture that excludes moms. Yeah. So congratulations. You're not going to have anybody building your product who is a person who's going to be using it. Right. You will fail. And literally everybody in the room was just like, like they couldn't believe I'd said it. And then I don't care. First off, I am too experienced to not start saying these things out loud. I think the phrase is I have no Fs left to give. But um, (laughs) I did not have an F left to give at that moment because I'm sitting in a room of CEOs and nobody was challenging this. It was crazy. And he really got it to his credit. I said, if you have a product that is aimed at moms, you better have some moms in your company building it. Yeah. Because if that doesn't happen, you cannot succeed. So good for Redfin for achieving equality or striving towards equality in their tech team. But man, that is some enlightened self-interest. Yeah. Well, you know, absolutely. I mean, the thing is, is that the the real estate tech space in general, and tech in general, I should just say, not even qualifying with real estate, is I feel like they hear it and they say they get it, but there's no change. And that's what I love about Redfin's story is that everyone understands that women control 85 to 95% of home wallet decisions. They know it. We've seen the reports over and over and over again. We are the third billion category behind, you know, the U.S. and and India, for crying out loud, right? Like, we have buying power, and people don't understand that. It's just actually seeing it in action, actually seeing that it's possible. Like, those are the stories I love to hear and to share and, and to really turn viral because it's that debunks the, well, there aren't enough women in tech for, to make that happen. Or, you know, women don't apply. It's like, well, obviously they found 30 women <laughs> out of a hundred. So yeah, they don't have all the women over at Redfin. Like there's more of them out there. It's just, it, will it take a little bit more time now? Yes. Will you need to actually recruit people as opposed to attract them? Yes, you will. But also, will you have to make sure that those women are being treated the same by their superiors, their colleagues, and their subordinates as their male counterparts? Because I, you know, I am the CEO of a tech company right now. I can share with you the stats, and this are grim. When a woman gets into a tech position, She's rarely put into a leadership role where she supervises other tech employees. And partly that's because other tech employees won't answer to her. Yeah. This is a thing that companies have to get on top of. If she isn't getting the basic level of support needed to do her job that her male colleagues enjoy without even thinking twice about it, without even having to examine it or change their behavior, you need to fix that systemically. That is not about saying she's not an effective leader. That is about saying we are going to have a culture where you answer to women equally to answering to men. That's number one. Number two, in tech, women are subject to more code review and harsher code review than their male counterparts. Now, the interesting thing is that actually makes their code better in the long run, but 
that is exhausting. Mm-hmm. It is exhausting to have every single thing you do be picked apart. Right. And it happens to women in a way it does not happen to men. It happens to black and Latino coders in a way it does not happen to white and Asian coders. And these things keep people out of your workplace. It keeps them from succeeding. It makes them work so much harder just to get to the same place. So yes, you cannot say to me, oh, we can't recruit women because there aren't women out there. You know what? There are women out there, but they, they check out. They go into marketing. It breaks my heart how many women in tech started in engineering or coding and wind up in marketing because they're not getting picked apart in marketing. And it is a giant loss. So companies have a real responsibility to make sure that once you recruit them, you retain them, you reward them equally, but that they, they are given the same platform from which to work. Yeah. as their male colleagues. That's so huge. Oh, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. What an awesome kind of additional conversation this has been. <laughs> I love this. Thank you for joining me today for a divine dose of truth wrapped in grace with sides of sass, moxie, and fire. Want more information on what we talked about today? You'll find the show notes and links over on my website, debratraven.com. Search the podcast title and voila! If you enjoyed the show today, please hit subscribe, click those stars to rate me, and leave a review. Oh, and don't keep the show a secret. Pretty please, share it with your friends too, okay? Lioness, I am praying you enjoy living your best life out loud, on purpose, and on your own terms. As always, keep your eyes open for moments you can engage Elevate and empower your world.